consistency in your methodology is critical on how you value the timeshare arrangement. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado... I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Well, today I am thrilled to have Ron Young from the advisory group to join me today to talk about timeshare lease arrangements. But before I introduce Ron, I want to uh, make sure our listeners know that I've recorded a couple of other episodes on real estate. Uh, January 25, 2022 was an episode generally about real estate. And also on February the 1st, 2022, a, a recording was done with respect to timeshare. But th- the conversation I'm going to have with Ron is going to go into a lot more detail than the February 1st uh, episode. So if you want to listen to that episode, great. The other thing, and I think I've said this on the other episodes, just generally with compliance, that if there was a reality show for compliance officers, and of course it's going to have a huge following, uh, and you line up the compliance officers in front of the hospital and you ask them to find the irregular or the fraudulent transaction the quickest, even if the billing office was the first office, and the real estate office was five miles away, I would be sprinting towards the real estate office. Because I don't believe, and Ron and I will get into this, that a lot of hospitals know how to manage real estate, although they are major real estate holding companies uh, in their various markets. Uh, So that kind of sets the table for the presentation today. So Ron, I'd like to introduce you, and if you can introduce yourself as well as what you do, and also the advisory group. Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks for this opportunity. So my name is Ron Young. I hold a counselor of real estate designation. The advisory group, I'm president and owner of the advisory group, which is a healthcare uh, real estate consulting valuation firm. We've been in business uh, 27 years. We do business uh, nationwide for a number of multi-located tenants, uh, healthcare tenants with clinics nationwide. And uh, as their leases roll over or they're contemplating leases, we issue fair market value opinion letters. And one of our specialties, over 30% of our business is the timeshare lease arrangement, and we do timeshare lease valuations. Well, great. So let's 
let's get into this. Um, I know a lot of hospitals and other medical providers uh, have timeshare arrangements. So the, I guess the beginning question, Ron, with your discussion with your clients is why would a hospital or a medical provider timeshare uh, real estate? That's a very good question, Bob, because we try to coach our clients when they are contemplating doing timeshare leases uh, with a physician, let's say in an outlying area, to have a goal, uh, have an objective. Are we doing a, a timeshare lease, putting a physician in a community and leasing a couple exam rooms from another provider for a day or half a day a week and trying to build a practice out there? Are we trying to make it convenient for that physician's patients to be able to see the provider? Or are we trying to build this opportunity to put that physician in that community on a full-time basis? But we feel it's important to have an objective or a goal to do these timeshare leases. Um, they are not money makers uh, by any means, and uh, there's a tremendous amount of work that uh, goes into them with the compliance officers, administration, et cetera. Yeah. Well, along those lines, Ron, uh, what are the most important components of a timeshare lease arrangement? In my mind, Bob, that the, org the healthcare organization, if they're going to enter into timeshare lease arrangements, the methodology that they use uh, must be consistent. So whatever they're doing for one provider in a market, they must do for follow the same methodology for all the providers that they have under timeshare lease arrangements. The second thing to be mindful of is who is going to monitor this arrangement. If it's a half a day, let's say the physician has hours from 8 to 12, who is monitoring that the physician is there at 8 o'clock and then leaves at 12 o'clock? That's critical. Most of these timeshare lease arrangements are for one year. You can expand the time. Let's say if it's the arrangement is one day per month, they can expand the arrangement to two days a month or greater. They can take on additional space, but they cannot contract. Uh, they can't make the intervals less or the square footage less. It has to remain the same for one year. I was going to say, you can, modify, you can modify the terms of within that one year as long as you stay consistent with the methodology, which we'll get into. Um, like you said, yeah. you can expand uh, the hours and such and the per square foot, but the methodology has to be uh, somewhat the same. So yeah, monitoring, monitoring is a major aspect, and I think in the previous episodes I I talked about what I what I commonly refer to as timeshare creep, and as, as you indicated, uh -huh. Ron, you, you, know, you have that 
8 to noon, uh, but if they start creeping past noon, then they're no longer consistent not only with the contract, but as you point out, they're not consistent with the fair market value methodology. Right. And frankly, you know, the hospital and compliance officers, everyone involved should have the answer to how the intervals are being monitored. The short answer is you want the practice manager of that setting to just document in her calendar uh, when each time of the interval of use, just document in the calendar when the physician arrived and when they left. So the third thing that I think is, is vitally important is when valuing a timeshare I have to think of myself as a patient. So what, as a patient, what do I interact with to then eventually end up in an exam room with the provider? So, you know, I'm using the waiting room. I may interact with the receptionist, which is part of staffing. Is that receptionist? the timeshare providers receptionist or is it the host facilities receptionist which we have to account for are we going into the vital area for weight blood pressure etc they drawing blood before they see the physician etc and then from the patient flow, you have to ask the question, what is the provider and his staff using, which involves workstations, possibly an office, uh, a charting area, restrooms, break room, et cetera. And probably furniture and equipment and medical supplies, those all are items that uh, have to go into the valuation, correct? Absolutely. All the items are to be valued. And uh, one of the hot buttons lately has been medical supplies and how that's being accounted for. Uh, Depending on the specialty, you know, it can be uh, less than $5 a day for tongue depressors and and gauze uh, and cotton swabs to, you know, a cardiologist using probes and so forth, and that could be, you know, upwards of $100 a day. But you have to be aware of what the specialty is and and what is being used. And typically, you take a look at, as you indicate, Ron, is, is the type of practice and what are the normal medical supplies and equipment that are being used. And then there's some type of... Uh, I call it a guesstimation uh, that you would apply to that that physician that's using that timeshared space and do an appropriate allocation to that physician. So you don't have to say, well, the tongue depressor costs two cents and I'm using two for today and therefore <laughs> mark that all down. It's just coming up with a, a reasonable estimate, but at least we have to allocate an expense that we believe to be a, a commercially reasonable apportionment of that expense, correct? That's correct. And usually your uh, medical sales providers are very good at estimating the supply use for you. 
and uh, we have access to that and, uh, and account for that in our Excel spreadsheets uh, that we load for each timeshare arrangement. So let's now get into methodology. So we know what items that we have to look for. It's not only the space, but the furniture, equipment, medical supplies, staff, et cetera. We've already justified that we want to run a timeshare uh, space. Uh, and we also know that monitoring is very important, but really where the rubber meets the road is how we come up with the fair market value for that timeshare. So tell me a little bit about uh, the methodology that you believe to be a defensible methodology when putting together a timeshared arrangement. Bob, first off, we determine fair market value rent uh, in that market for that Age, age and type of office space, and it's a range, it's an acceptable range, and put it on a, determine the rental rate range on a full service gross basis. Secondly, there needs to be a premium on that rental rate, uh, in that if you are as a landlord renting space on a timeshare basis uh, for one year, you are unable to lease that space on a full-time basis, which seems rather obvious, but because that timeshare is taking up that opportunity to lease that space on a full-time basis, we use a 25% premium on the cost per square foot range. You know, every time I bring that up, and I've brought that up in uh, the previous episodes, and, and when clients push back on that, I say, well, I just want to prorate it, uh, you know, whatever the fair market value for the full-time use. And I always bring up the example of a hotel room. Uh, when, you, yeah. when you pay for a hotel room, you're not paying fair market value for that space. Uh, you are on a full-time basis. Uh, you are paying not only for the administrative overhead, but you're also paying for the nights that that hotel room is sitting empty. Uh, that all has to be allocated within the methodology, hence the reason for the 25% premium that you're talking about, correct? Good point, Bob. Yes. Yes. The next major point is determining the square footage that's truly used. There's a usable square foot number. Let's say it's two exam rooms. I'm gonna make this up that each exam room is 100 square feet, but there's the waiting room that the patient has used. There's restrooms, there's the vital area, there's hallways. So that's the interior portion of the common area of that suite that's being shared, and a small percentage of that is added to the actual square footage used to determine a rentable square footage number. If it's in a multi-story building, obviously I would add a building common area to that square footage as well to determine what the rentable square footage is. So in my mind, those are that's critical information. 
an inventory of the furniture fixtures and equipment is critical and also coaching the local personnel compliance officer etc to the fact that it, once the physician uses that area whatever he has in his possession <laughs> must leave or if he has to leave equipment behind then there needs to be a storage area and he would be charged full time for the storage let's say an EKG unit or whatever specialty piece of equipment that he has to have at that location would be stored in a cupboard or or a closet yeah so it, it's really taking a look at as you say all in it's everything the patient would touch and probably everything mm -hmm. the physician and the physician's staff that the, he, he or she is bringing in touches, then that has to be accounted for in the analysis. So it's not just the uh, the square footage, because uh, a lot of times, and you probably have faced this uh, too, Ron, that uh, somebody wants to put together a timeshare arrangement and they focus solely on the square footage and not all of the other stuff that the uh, physician and the, uh, the physician's patients are using. Um, do you get pushback on uh, trying to allocate that stuff in, or do uh, your clients uh, typically understand at the beginning? Well, typically, my I kind of brace them for the idea that you brought up the hotel room. Yep. And if you think of this timeshare arrangement in the same, let's say, dollars as renting a hotel and that community where that timeshare space exists, it helps with, you know, achieving a minimum of $100 a half a day or a minimum of, you know, $150 to $200 for a full day. Now, we haven't touched on staffing. <laughs> if there's a receptionist or a, a medical assistant of the host facility that's being used by the timeshare provider, what we customarily do is we put a the hourly rate, their benefits uh, into that hourly rate, which is debatably 20 to 25% add-on. And then we put a temporary fee uh, like you would use a temporary ser service to rent an employee, we put a temporary fee of 15% on it. Typically, uh, if there's any pushback, if you start speaking in terms of the size of a hotel, he's renting the size of a hotel space, the dollars are going to be around the same amount of money, not including the, the receptionist. It keeps the alarmists <laughs> at bay. Because most of this used equipment is what I, you know, obviously we see all the time. It's nickels and dimes. You total it all up and you determine a monthly rate. And sometimes the monthly rate may be a little shocking, but if they're in there four days a week, you have to just pull it down to that daily rate and relate it to the hotel and it usually that pushback is understood. 
Let me give you a, one example. I mean, obviously, if we declare like suite 101 is going to be our timeshared suite, and we're just going to try to get as many physicians in there to use the timeshare suite, that, that's definitely one analysis, and we've been talking about that. But let's say that we have a, a, a hospital-owned practice, and they have eight exam rooms, and they use the eight exam rooms full-time. And they want to rent out one exam room one day a month, but otherwise, 100% of the time, the hospital and the hospital employees are using that exam room. Um, so there's no downtime uh, for that exam room. Does that change the analysis, especially with respect to the allocation of that 25% factor in your mind? Well, the compliance officers that I deal with, the short answer would be no. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there's there's different ways to to look at that, and uh, you know, you know, definitely, mm -hmm. if there's no downtime at all, uh, you'd have to take a look at. There's still administrative burdensome that you'd have to account for, and that may be the reason for the application of that 25% in that equation. And it possibly, I guess, maybe I'm advocating it could be a little bit lower uh, than that because uh, you don't have that downtime. You still have the administrative expense, so it's not just a straight allocation. Right. It, you have the administrative expense, you have the valuation expense, you have the attorney's expense, the <laughs> lease arrangement expense. And so, I, I mean, I would argue also that it's just as convenient as your hotel room uh, situation where I'm able to walk in and I don't have to clean it. I don't have to do, walk in, do my business and turn out the lights and leave. Exactly. Um, so it's a it's a convenience factor, and in my mind, I think there's premium associated with that. Exactly. And, and this is you know Bob speak. There are times, and you have to be very, very, very careful with what I'm going to say next. And that is, if you are in an underserved area, and there is uh, the only way to get a vital medical specialty into your rural area is to provide free space. You have got to be very careful as to whether or not it's legal to provide that free space, but uh, it, it is possible. But you have to be very careful to justify the, the medical need, the, the service area need in order to provide that free time shared space. But that is a rare, rare, rare circumstance. Uh, so I just want to throw that out there that sometimes there are situations where you can justify providing the free space, but it, it, it's got to be very, under certain very constraint reasons and with great justification. You've got to hold your hand of your, your healthcare attorney uh, to make sure you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's under the Stark Law and the Anti-Kickback Statute. So, um... Ron, this has been a great conversation, and I think we got into a lot of detail here. And so now's the time of this episode for you to provide our listeners with the three Captain Integrity Punch Points. Number one, uh, Bob, I would say that consistency in your methodology is critical on how you value the timeshare arrangement. And not only for me, but also the hospital system or the physician group. Number two, the monitoring of the space. It needs to be documented when the physician uses the space, when he 
arrives and when he leaves. And the easiest answer to that is there's a keeper of the key or a monitor, which we would call the practice manager in that situation, would uh, document the use. And the third thing is thinking like a patient to determine the use, uh, all of the uses of personnel, common areas, furniture fixtures and equipment and any specialty equipment right down to the exam table and medical waste containers and otoscopes, et cetera. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Ron, can you please provide our listeners with your contact information? Our office number is 615-360-5160. Uh, my email is Ron Young, all one word, R-O-N-Y-O-U-N-G, at advisory, that's A-D-V-I-S-O-R-Y, dash, which is a hyphen, group, G-R-O-U-P, dot com. Well, thank you, Ron. This has been a very enjoyable episode. And if anybody has any questions regarding timeshare arrangements, uh, feel free to reach out to Ron or myself, and we'd be happy to help you out. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.